0: Well, this morning, our pastor is still in South Africa and is grateful for all the prayers for his travel. He'll be back with us next Sunday preaching, Um, and we have a double blessing this morning. We have John Lynch coming up, and he has been with us since the very beginning of the church. He's also our treasurer and does many, many, many things here. He's going to start out the sermon this morning for us, and we're also going to hear from Adam Meyer. Uh, for those of you who haven't met him yet, it's a great opportunity to get to hear from him, too. Both really talented guys in their fields talking about giving this morning. And the name of the message is Emotional and Spiritual Principles Related to Money. Um, Adam's also doing some small groups with us, and he'll, I'm sure, tell you a lot more about what he does. So we're going to start with John. John's going to come on up and start us out.
1: All right. Good morning. So yeah, it's great to be here, Um, excited to uh, have the opportunity to speak to you this morning. As Bernadette said, you're getting two for one today, so uh, hopefully you'll enjoy that. I think there's going to be a lot of good stuff uh, talked about today. Um, The title of my part is called One Treasure, The One Treasure. So rather than give you an explanation of that before I start, I'm going to go ahead and give my sermon and hopefully it'll become clear to you uh, what the meaning of that is as I'm speaking. So the scripture reading uh, for today comes from the book of Matthew. Uh, It's Jesus speaking. It's part of his uh, Sermon on the Mount. And it says, starting in verse 19, going to verse 34. So if you want to follow along, it'll be up on the screen in front of you and you can uh, follow along in your apps or in your Bible. Your whole body will be full of darkness. If, then, the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. How true is that? No? so you know it's interesting. the Bible is not neutral on the subject of money in fact, if we preached about it here as much as Jesus talked about it, I think you'd grow pretty tired of it um, but the reality is that money can in uh, uh exert a significant influence and control in our lives. And that's really what I'm going to speak about today. So hopefully, um, this will be one one of the good sermons you hear about money. Uh, And it will be interesting. Uh, But there are really three parts to my sermon today. And the first part is going to be, how does money uh, exert control and influence uh, in our lives? The second part is going to be, why does money exert control and influence in our lives? And the third part is going to be the good news. How can we break free from the control and influence of money in our lives? So I'm going to start with the how, all right? So one way money can be uh, an influence and a control in our lives is it, it can trigger in us fear and anxiety. Okay, Because we can't always control it to the extent that we want to. And really, anything in our lives that we can't control to the extent we want to triggers fear and anxiety in our lives. And money is, is just one of those. You know, I can remember, um, looking back on my financial decisions, I, I can't remember one decision I've made that turned out well that w- was uh, driven or, or impulsed by fear and anxiety. I can remember, and you know, this is kind of how it looks for me, I might read something on the internet or read something on the paper about an impending disaster in the financial markets or maybe an impending opportunity in the financial market that will invariably lead me to an impulse purchase of, a, of an asset or maybe an impulse sell of uh, an asset. And I can't remember looking back that any one of those turned out to, to be good. You know, Or perhaps there was something that I could use my money for today, but I didn't because I was fearful of running out uh, in the future. And so I would make a decision today to maybe not do something that would have had benefit for me because of a fear of what might happen in the future. And almost 100%, if I look back and reflect on those decisions, I have a feeling of regret or a feeling of missing out of what I could have done today that I put off until tomorrow, so you usually know when you're fearful right, but more subtly uh, in that passage that I just read and and perhaps um more serious is we can always sometimes we can be oblivious. Uh, to the way that money can influence and control us, uh, let's kind of relook at the uh, scripture that I read, particularly in verse 22 and 23. And I'll just read those quickly again. Where it says, "The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness?" So, this scripture passage that I just read talks about having a darkened eye, and and uh, it, it talks about having a healthy eye, and it ha- talks about having an unhealthy eye, and the unhealthy eye is 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 darkened. Um, and and uh, it's interesting because that section doesn't seem to fit uh, in the flow of that passage. The section before it talks about uh, a, a pattern or an action that's unhealthy. In relationship to money. The first one talks about, you know, when we hoard or we're selfish, that's a pattern or an action that could be unhealthy. The one after that talks about uh, having a conflicted heart as, again, as a pattern uh, that can be unhealthy when handling our money. But in between, there's this passage about the eye. And, and you know, what is, what is Jesus talking about there? What, is, what does that mean? And, and uh, I think you can get some clarity on that passage by looking at the version of this uh, parable in Luke, in Luke 12, where Jesus talks about, um, uh, in this passage, he says, you know, watch out for greed. So I think that the, the issue Jesus is getting at in this passage is the issue of greed. And this passage really brings out some very interesting uh, characteristics about greed. You know, one, uh, it's not an obvious sin. Uh, it's what the Bible refers to as an eye sin. Second, we generally don't think we struggle with greed. Third, it's really not very well correlated with your economic position in life. So I'm going to explain a little bit more about that. Um, in terms of it not being obvious, you know, we generally know when we're lying. We generally know when we've stole something. Um, but we don't generally know if we're being greedy. And I, you know, I remember a few years ago in, in my work, it was time to get our bonuses. And uh, I got my bonus and um, was happy about that. And then I kind of inadvertently found out what one of my peers got for his bonus. And um, I remember being you know, angry and kind of upset and all that. And um, the issue really wasn't justice. Because, you know, the bonus I got was the bonus that my boss thought I should deserve. And, and more importantly, I got a bonus, and many people in our company didn't get a bonus. So the issue wasn't justice so much as I was just battling internally with uh, with greed. And I can remember, you know, a lot of instances in my life where I could compare myself or did compare myself to someone else. And... Um, you know I battled with that, I battled with the issue of comparison, and I think that you know what that really related to was just uh, an attitude of greed in my in my heart um, you know secondly we we don't uh, naturally think of ourselves as being capable of greed you know we we but we are very good at thinking that someone else is greedy and and uh <laughs> i I think that uh you know why why is that um you know you can look in the media. You can you can get plenty of stories about who's greedy, and you can look at the corporate greed. You can look at uh, celebrity greed. We can look at uh, uh, government greed. We can look at you know politicians' greed, um, or just in general. You know anyone asking for money, they must be greedy, right? Uh, but what is you know what's what's that what's going on inside of us? I, I, you know I know what goes on inside of me when someone asks for money. I my first reaction is that. Well, you know, are, are they worth it? What's the value of giving money to that cause or that person? Um, do they deserve it? Uh, you know, and then I kind of go through the list in my mind of well, here's the reasons why I probably should not give money to that person. Um, and it kind of reminded me um, this summer I had the opportunity to be in Jerusalem uh, with my family, and um, we were uh, in the market square one one evening and. Having a good time, I think we were getting something to eat and something to something to drink, and uh, you know, and, uh, and out of the corner of my eye, I see a, a woman, an elderly woman, a beggar woman, sort of walking towards us, and so I did the usual thing, kind of just looked down and tried to avoid eye contact, and our friend who was who was with us, uh, who had lived in Jerusalem for a number of years, kind of motioned her over, and uh, he said, "Hey, you guys, get out some shekels, we're gonna, you know to give her some shekels," and so we're like, "Okay." You know, reached into my pocket, gave her some shekels, and, and uh, he did as well. And, and, you know, what happened was it, she wound up talking to him. They wound up laughing. They, they I don't know, he, I think maybe he knew her. Um, they hugged and kissed, and off she went. And so we're like, wow. Uh, and I remember um, Andrea asking our friend, he said, is that normal? Do people give money like that? And he goes, yeah, you know, in Jerusalem, we kind of take care of uh, each other, and, and it's just sort of in our culture. And, and I remember that made an impression on me. You know, it kind of exposed my heart um, in the matter. Um, you know, it, here's a here's a fairly reliable way. I think you can tell if your eyes may be darkened. Um, you know, consider how you view people who are wealthier than you, and consider how you view people who have less than you, or who are poorer than you. Um, you know, no matter where you are in life, there's always going to be somebody who has more than you. There's always going to be somebody who has less than you. Um, so when you're interacting with somebody who has less than you, or maybe, uh, maybe it's less material possessions, you know, maybe it's just less of anything, and, um, you know, you hold this valuable, um, do you look down on that person? Do you have an attitude that says, wow, you know, I think... I'm I'm better than that person. I'm better off than that person. Or, you know, thank God I'm not like that person. Uh, Thank God I'm where I am. So if we're honest, you know, we all do that at some level, I think. Uh, You know, we all all struggle with that. Uh, And on the flip side, if you're interacting with somebody who's wealthier than you, uh, is there an attitude of scorn? You know, is there an attitude of uh, sort of like, ah, look at all that wealth that they're wasting? And is there a... Maybe an attitude of superiority, like, hey, I get to hang out with my friends who have you know magnificent homes, and you don't. Uh, so if you find you react like that when you're um, interacting with folks who have more than you or less than you, you know I just encourage you to uh, reflect on that. So I talked about those are how that's one you know two reasons how money has control over us, but why? I think is really two reasons um, you know for myself uh, it can be my security uh, you know in verse 31 um, it talked about worry and when we don't feel secure we worry all right and you know how you know money is your security you fear losing it so anything you fear losing I'm not talking about your stomach getting tight because and butterflies, because your budget's you know a little tight this 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 month, but I'm talking about that that hoarding mentality um, you know I was reading a story uh in the paper about a a man in Carson City, Nevada. He was a recluse who who died a few years ago, and uh you know he was found a month after he died. his body was found decomposing in his home, and when he died, he had two hundred dollars in the bank. but when they came to clean out his house and get it ready for sale. They find that he had a stack of gold bars and coins in his home. Those worth $7 million. And apparently he was uh, a recluse and he was fearful of a number of things happening in the world that never occurred. All right. But for him, his money was his security. And um, you know, in case he needed it, uh you know, closer to home, I think that that's why we bristle when someone asks for money because you know what i think what we hear sometimes is hey you're asking for a little bit of my security so i think that that's why in the passage you know jesus talks about that conflict that rises within us when someone asks us to be generous you know the second thing is that it can be our significance all right jesus talks about in that passage that you know we have a need to feel valuable in life, we all have a need to feel that we matter, and money can give that to us. You know, money can give that to us in an instant. The problem is that that instant only lasts for a season. You know, it, it's never something that can permanently give us significance. I, I remember going to my fifth-year high school reunion, and you know, at that point in time, we were all in the same boat. Just got out of college, we didn't have jobs. So you know what did we do? We talked about what we did that summer. We talked about fun things that we were going to do in the fall or whatever, and we just kind of reminisced. Went to my twentieth high school reunion, and that time you know what did we do? Where are you working? How much are you making? So what I found is that I you know stood next to the guys who was making more then, and I kind of avoided the guys who was making less then, because I felt better about myself. And you know what was happening? Was, the money had become part of my significance uh, at that point in my life. So how do we break the control of this in our life? How do we break free from the control of it in our life? Now, I, I think that there are three, three parts to this. There are three ways we can do that, uh, three important things. And you know, if you get anything out of what I'm talking about today, this is, I think, the most important part. First is accountability. You know, who are you accountable to in this area of your life? And the principle is is that you can't trust yourself, all right? You need accountability in this in this area. That's not easy. I realize that because our inclination is to not want to talk about it. Our inclination is to kind of hold it, uh, you know, close to us. We don't like to talk about how we make our money and how we spend it. But I remember sitting down. In the in summer, with a friend of mine who asked me, um, you know, to sit down with him, and he he wanted to make a number of changes in his life. But one of the areas was his finances, and he asked me specifically. He said, "You know, can you hold me accountable in this area and this change I want to make?" And and I, I can tell you, I've never been asked by anybody to do that. I've never been asked by anybody, you know, can you hold me accountable in my finances? And I knew that he was serious about it because he asked for accountability. And I knew, you know, he would be successful, I think, in making those changes in his life because of um, his desire for accountability. So second thing that's important is what I would call pervasive generosity. And here's what I mean by that. Both financial and emotional. Um, This is an important point. Because did you know that you can be financially generous, but not emotionally generous? All right. And this is kind of how it might look. You know, yes, I'll write you a check, but please don't ask me to get emotionally involved. All right. You can be emotionally generous, but financially stingy. And here's how that might look. You know, I'll give you some time, I'll give you some love, but just don't ask me for money. All right. You need both in tandem all right, for pervasive generosity. One or the other is not sustainable. So my last point on this is, <clears throat> you know, what, what is important to break free from the control of money? We, we have to make Jesus our treasure. And that's one of the main points that Jesus is making in this passage. That's not easy, all right? Uh, but for me, there's a connection uh, between treasuring Jesus, generosity, and accountability. I can be, you know, if, if there's something else that is taking taken the place of Jesus as my treasure, I can be accountable and I can be generous for a season, but I can't sustain it. You know, I, I, I can talk myself out of it pretty quick. So to sustain it, I think we need to have Jesus Understand what it means to have Jesus as our treasure, and, and how do we do that? You know, first, I think we need to understand that we're Jesus' treasure. All right, in Ephesians two ten, it says, "For we are God's masterpiece; He's created us anew in Christ Jesus, so that we can do good things He planned for us long ago." So you know the paradox of the Bible is one person can hear that verse and it can bring a, bring a great amount of peace. We can bring a great release of anxiety. Someone else can hear that verse and not feel worthy. But secondly, we need to ask ourselves, what am I making my treasure? Uh, you know, and typically, we'll do almost anything for what we treasure, right? Uh, I remember when I was single, I was in my mid-20s, and uh, I, was, I was living at home, and this group of guys asked me to move in with them into a big Victorian home in Wellesley. It had you know, great location right near the train. Uh, but more importantly, I really admired these guys. I, I really admired how they lived their lives. I really admired how they uh, went about and uh, carried themselves. I admired their integrity. And I admired uh, how they were in relationship. So I, I, I began to treasure that. And then they invited me to live with them. The the catch was that my bedroom was on the attic, so it was a shoebox bedroom. It had no closet, uh, had no insulation, had no heat, and that the bathroom was down a flight of stairs, and I had to share it with five other guys. So, so you get the picture. But like I said, I was willing to do almost anything for that with it, which I treasure, right? So. You know, I think what it comes down to, you know, in understanding and treasuring Jesus is you need to make an effort to fully understand uh, the meaning of the cross of Christ. And I understand that that message can be confusing. I understand that that uh, could seem foolish, it can seem outdated, and Paul talks about that extensively in 1 Corinthians uh, one seventeen. But when you understand it, you know, it becomes... The way to mercy it becomes the way to forgiveness it becomes uh, the way to peace, it becomes the way to to move out of guilt and you treasure that because of that. Um, you know Billy Graham said the cross is not just rules to live by in your life, but it 's a change of direction it 's a new life, and we could preach a different sermon on that, but i 'll just give you a quick analogy before I hand things over to Adam, but you know my, my friend Brian worship guy this morning. You know, Brian, you you told me a story once when he was in college. He was a wide receiver for Boston University. And they went up one Saturday to play UMass Amherst. And he was kind of like Julian Edelman, going over the middle, caught a pass, and began to run with it. And he got hit so hard that he literally, his direction was changed. He literally started going the other way. You know? Ouch. (laughs) You Now you know how tough Brian is, right? But the point of that is that the cross is that dramatic and powerful. It can change direction. It can change your direction. It can give you new life. So accountability, generosity, and the cross are, I think, important to break free from the control of money. So with that, I'm going to hand things over to Adam for part two.
2: Thank you. Thanks, John. Way to set the bar high there. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm just going to pray. Lord, thank you so much for this chance for us to share these lessons on uh, money, but also sharing, I believe, and generosity and what I'm about to talk about, which is abundance. I just ask that you bless these words, have people have the chance to hear what you want them to hear and understand what you want them to understand. In Jesus' name, thanks. So I'm one of those guys, I got louder, I'm one of those guys that actually asks for money on a regular basis. That's my profession. I am the Director of Advancement for Whitensville Christian School. Some of you know the school. Some of you have had kids at the school. Some of you currently have kids at the school. It's a great place. Prior to me taking that job, uh, I uh, worked mostly for large universities and secular organizations. They all had great missions, but one of my roles as what you would call sort of the chief fundraiser was to be able to work with board members who, up to that point, typically had some control issues, a little bit along the lines of what John would say, and give them the opportunity to loosen some of that control and for the organization that they clearly cared about to be able to make a difference in that organization. So that's really how. I was really working with what I would call promoting philanthropy or love of other human beings through the causes that, that I was working with. And I had a great time, really enjoyed it, loved it. Um, but at the same time, something for me was kind of missing in the sense of we would sometimes be very successful with a campaign and then the, how shall I put it, the earthly sort of won over what I would consider to be sort of the timeless in some of those campaigns. So an example would be a science building. Did they really need a science building? Maybe. But sometimes they just wanted to have a science building so they could say, we're a better university than you, uh, using a little bit of a comparison. So the opportunity when I came to uh, Whitensville Christian was really for me to really take what I had learned in the world and apply it to what I call kingdom work, which for me was really exciting. So I, the opportunity to work there just, you know, was very exciting, and I can thank uh, Janine Panicelli, who's here today, for that opportunity. She shared how much she loved the school as a teacher. So um, today's sermon really is really, for me, an opportunity a great one that Rob gave me and, and you all, to share the, a little bit a few lessons that we can learn from the world, but it only gets reinforced, in my view when you start reading the Bible carefully, and it's everywhere. Uh, and so they kind of go together, if that makes sense. And it's uh, it's for that reason, I think, it's even more powerful. So we're going to start with uh, the reading today, which is probably is behind me. We can go to the next one. Okay. This was the original passage that uh, Rob thought would be good for us to talk about the joy of giving. When both John and I first read it, um, we were kind of like, yeah, you know, it's okay, but it doesn't really do the trick in terms of how I think about, you know, giving. So uh, having been an academic before I became a fundraiser, I was like, I'm going to figure this out. If Rob thinks it's important, I am going to figure it out. So I looked at the passage carefully, and then I'll share with you what I got. So be listening when I read this to, to see if you think you hear what it was I, I found. Yet it was good good of you to share in my troubles. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So one of the things I learned about preparing for this sermon is that everyone has a favorite passage, or not everyone, but when you give people an opportunity to think about a favorite passage, as it relates to giving you learn a lot about them so I would encourage everyone to do that um, I'm going to be a little short for time so I'm just throwing out the idea that when they share that with you you get a real sense of who they are as a person uh, my colleague who's a director of enrollment um, one of her favorite uh, comes from uh, Second King um, and it is the part of the story where a widow has to use the last of her flour and oil to give a meal uh, to the person asking for it. And she does so. Uh, this is, for her, an example of sacrificial giving and hospitality. Guess what? She is the director of enrollment. So she en- she basically uses that on a daily basis. So for me, in this passage here, though, coming back to uh, Philippians, I think there are three lessons that really jump out um, if, if, for me, anything that you get from this, I think, is interesting. Number one, um, when we see, um, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. And what I get here is there are opportunities in our lives for us to step out and be obedient to what we know God is calling us to do and to be generous about it, not to, you know, grudgingly do something but say, yep, I get it, and I'm going to do it. And so that's, for me, the first lesson. The second lesson I see here is that um, you sent me aid more than once uh, when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Now, this one's a little interesting and was the one that I had to put on my professor hat. So I looked at five or six different translations. And the one that really stood out for me with the notes was the NIV. The other translations don't really get into this idea of exchange um, as it relates to giving. Um, In my profession, uh, in in the world, one of the things you need to understand is philanthropists are actually acting out of self-interest, believe it or not. It's not that they just have extra money they want to give away. They actually have values that they see represented in the organizations they want to support. And they get that in a marketplace where money makes a difference, they can make that difference in the world. Now, many of them are not Christian, right? So here's where the extra layer comes, which I think is really interesting. And that is what I believe Paul is referring to here. When you look at more be credited to your account, the the translation there is actually really an earthly transaction. But what he's referring to, if you really extend to the rest of the passage, is the idea that you're you're investing in the kingdom when you do the first step, which is to step out and act um, in a generous way. And I think a lot of people may not get that piece. They may think, okay, you know, I'll I'll just follow the rules and be a good Christian and and tithe and give, but they're not really in the space that Paul and Jesus want you to be, which is to get the joy piece out of that, knowing that in your own, this sounds strange, but in your own kingdom self-interest, you're being part of the kingdom. Does that make sense? That we're all humans, right? So you can't expect for humans to make only heavenly decisions. You can try, but coming back to John's point, to make it sustainable, it's really important to get what is your kingdom self-interest. Does that make sense? Maybe. We'll talk about that later. Um, The third piece there that I see is um, at the bottom you say, uh, we may have to jump forward, but they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, to me there, what I see is I see a promise. And that is if you you take step one and you step out, step two that you really get that you're making a difference for the kingdom and that's a good thing as part of a community and it's in your self-interest to do it. God, then, will take care of you, right? Yeah. And that's the piece, I think, where a lot of people in the world, and I'm going to get to this if I have time, which I may not, but the world tells us the opposite, right? Which is, you must stay in control and hold on to as much of your money as you can because you might run out. That's what the world wants to tell you, all right? But this is a countercultural message in how that works. So... Uh, moving on to the next slide this is reinforced here um, in my view by 2nd Corinthians uh, and I know we don't have a lot of time but I'm going to read part of it and that is 6 through 6-11 remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly you may have to look this up in your Bible so it's I apologize it's 2nd Corinthians 6-11 through 11. remember this Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, and my second page is gone. (laughs) That's what happens when you don't. Have your own digital copy. Ah, excuse me. You have what you need. You will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So to me, if, if you were to ask me what is my most powerful verse on giving, that's it right there. Because what it refers to is it's not yours to begin with, right? Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. So, you know, get over yourself. God already gave you what you got. So how are you going to use it? That's the big question, right? Right if you get that piece. And again, when you do that, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Kind of like a way to live. Okay, So this is really, really to me, some of the biblical underpinnings for the idea of getting to a a sense of abundance versus scarcity. Now, that distinction was not um, mine. Um, It is biblical, I would say. But I also believe that in the world, it is a countercultural message which is becoming more popular among philanthropists. Okay, so um, the author Stephen Covey, in his original book, The Seven Habits of um, Successful People, let's take a look here. to the next one really uh, caught on to this, and it was this was sort of when he first proposed this. This was something that a lot of people had trouble wrapping their minds around, but has become pretty accepted in, again, the secular world. So what's interesting is um, Covey uh, is um, not a Christian. Um, he's a Mormon, uh, but he does tap into some biblical texts. But what's interesting is I think we can be countercultural with some of his messages because they, they really do reinforce what we're talking about. Okay, So uh, when you look at... The idea of a a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset really believes in a zero-sum game and that is the idea that if you give something away you're never getting it back and you you lose. Um, If other people win you're losing because you're not winning the way other people are winning. Kind of the way John was talking about the distribution of uh, bonuses. The, uh, the, the problem with the scarcity mentality is once you're in it and the more you're in it, the harder it is to get out. So some of you may have felt that way where you feel like you don't have anything and that you're up against it and it's difficult. Uh, there's no doubt about that. We've all probably been in that place. But the question is, what do you do with that? Do you let it dominate your life, the way you think about life, the way you act in your daily life? And John's already pointed out that that's something that you can break away from. Um, The short-term focus, um, it's really interesting. When you're in that place, it becomes really hard to budget. And ironically, when it's really hard to budget, then it gets harder to get out of a situation where you feel like you're in scarcity. So then the uh, final piece there is uh, it leads to sadness, jealousy, and paranoia, which you don't want to be. So I'm I'm just about out of time. um, And what I'd like to close with is just a, a reinforcement of what I was talking about at the beginning. Um, and that would be coming out of our passage for Philippians today, four fourteen through 19. Number one, uh, you know, if you, if you haven't done so recently, think about how is it you can step out boldly in obedience in a situation after you've prayed about it, especially after you've prayed about it, in generosity to make a kingdom difference. Where is that place for you? Have you done it? Number two, um, understand that when you do that, um, there is a promise that's twofold. And I'm not just saying this because I think, you know, it means that we all get rich and that we can buy that church in Milford. This is something that's biblical, right? Okay? That is that you are making an investment in the kingdom when you do that. And it's in your self-interest and the interest of the body that you participate with. The final piece is, when you do that, um, the part that John referred to in terms of worrying about clothes or what it is or having worry pretty much is handled uh, right away. That when you do that, God will answer all the things that you need. All right? So uh, I'll just close us out here in a quick prayer, and then if the uh, uh, worship team could come up, that would be great. Lord, thank you again for this chance for us to be together to share lessons about money um abundance and how it is that we're living our life the way you would like us to live and how when we participate in that the joy that we receive that is your gift as well we're just thankful to be here again um able to worship to learn and uh thank you so much for the gift of your son that made all this possible in jesus name amen